Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night here. Actually, on a Wednesday night. It's been a while, I think. Yudshvat. Yudshvat. Today was Yudshvat. And this Shabbat is Pasha B'Shalach. By the time we have our next year, it will be after Tubishvat. Pash B'Shalach, the Yidin, leave Mitzrayim. At long last. They leave Egypt, they leave the servitude of Egypt. 200 plus years as servants, as slaves, <coughs> and they finally leave Egypt. Since the beginning of Chumash Shemais, which we read about, read about the birth of Meish Rabbeinu, our teacher Moses, Master Moses. Each parsha, each Torah portion, is involved another way with Moshe and his life, and his leadership of the Jewish nation. Okay, I'm sorry. Parshas B'Shalach, we find Moshe Rabbeinu at his highest, at the greatest level of Moshe Rabbeinu. Parshas B'Shalach is known for these not the splitting of the Red Sea, per se, although this is where the splitting of the Red Sea is discussed, but rather the Shira. Thanks, Scranton. You're making me more self-conscious. Oh, welcome Atlanta. Okay. The Shira, amongst the ten Shiras, the songs that will be sung, the Shira of Mesha, the song of Mesha, the Pashas B'Shalach. But the beginning of the song opens, Az Yashir Mesha, then Mesha sang. Then, of course, they reference to something Subsequential. 
it followed up something. We've explained before. It follows up Meshe Rabbeinu's repentance. Meshe Rabbeinu does tshuva. Oh, thank you. Way back when, we hear when the Almighty approaches Meshe Rabbeinu and tells him Go speak to the Jews, to the Jewish nation. Moshe answers, They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. And the Almighty punishes Moshe on the spot. He tells him to put his hand inside his shirt. And when he takes his hand out, it's white with leprosy. And then finally the Almighty tells him to put the hand back in. And he puts his hand back into his shirt, and it comes out clean. But this stigma, this uncertainty of the Jewish nation where Moshe says they will not believe me the Almighty considered Lashon Hara slander and for slander the punishment is severe only in this week's Pasha do we finally read as the Jews cross the Reed Sea, <coughs> they believed in God and in Moshe, his servant. Now it was clear to Moshe as well that they do believe in him. Now hearing that they do believe in him, now knowing indeed what he had said was so wrong. Now Moshe was ultimately forgiven completely, and therefore us, Yashir Moshe. Then at this point, Moshe sings. Only with a clear slate was he able to sing this holy song. Let us digress. Prior to the splitting of the Red Sea, the Jews leave Egypt unfortunately not on their own reconnaissance not on their own volition but because Parai literally drove them out of the nation drove them out get out I've suffered enough my nation suffered enough don't believe that he didn't care about his nation he suffered enough he said and now he was frightened as all the firstborns were smitten, he was cons- he was concerned. He too was a firstborn, and therefore he was worried that he too would die. And therefore he felt or figured, if he frees the Jews, perhaps that would mean to his salvation. 
And so he sends out the Jewish nation. He wasn't being a nice guy at all. He wasn't being a repentant at all. There are some opinions that say that ultimately Pari did repent as he was being dipped in the Reed Sea. But let us leave that alone right now. Pari sends the Jewish nation out. But it didn't take long for Pari to regret sending them. And immediately he takes 600 chariots for that. And the 600 chariots come to pursue, to chase Moshe Rabbeinu, to chase the Jewish nation. And lo and behold, as they arrive at the Yamsuf, as the, at the Reed Sea, they observe an obstacle. They can no longer go. They couldn't walk across the water. In spite of what they say about some Jew walked across the water, it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> they, oops. Okay. <laughs> he's been ha- he's been hanging around ever since. Anyway, the Red Sea was an obstacle. To their right was a desert. To their left was desert. And behind them was the ensuing Egyptians. Bless you. Thank you for today's cooking. The Jews were in a dilemma. And Moshe stands up and begins to daven. He begins to pray. Taylor tells us a very interesting conversation. Short-lived that, albeit. Short-lived because the Almighty says to him, Ma titzak elai. Why are you screaming to me? Why are you praying? This is not a time for prayer. For prayer, this is a time for continuing. Dabil b'nei Yisalvi Yisal, speak to the Jewish nation, let them go onward. Let them go forward. Ma titzak elai. Not lama atatzayek elai. Not al titzak, don't scream, or why are you screaming? Ma titzak. What is the ma? The Holy Balaturim tells us Ma is two letters, Mem and He. The Almighty says to Moshe, You have a tremendous power of prayer. So much so that the Jews are going to sin by the golden calf, and I'm going to want to eradicate the nation. For 40 days and 40 nights, you will pray and thereby redeem the nation. Ma, Mem, is 40. For 40 days and 40 nights, you will pray. 
because your power of your prayer is so strong. Hey, ultimately, there will be a dilemma. Your sister Miriam will speak Lashon Hara about you. And therefore, she'll be punished. She'll be punished, as we said before, for speaking slander. She will be a lep- she'll be struck with leprosy and set outside the nation. And you will stand up and you will pray for her. You say, Ono, Kel no, Ono, Kel no, Refor no lo. Five words. And that short prayer also will be answered. And your sister will be healed. So your power of prayer is very potent. Your, your power of prayer is very important, especially to me. But you will have the times it will show itself. At the 40 days and at the 5 words, those prayers will be time to pray. Right now is not a time to pray, says the Almighty. But not only did Moshe pray, the Pasik tells us why it's Akub and Yisrael the Hashem. The entire nation started to scream out. But they were told clearly, you're going to leave Egypt and you're going to enter the Holy Land of Israel. And you saw, you just experienced this most magnificent miracle of the departure of Egypt. No slave ever escaped Egypt. And here, 600,000 strong, you walked out of the gates of Egypt. Where's your belief? If you believe in what God promised you, that He's going to take you to the Holy Land, there's no reason for this supplements and these prayers. The Almighty promised, and He's definitely going to take care of it. If, God forbid, you have your doubts, that maybe I'm not that potent, so then why pray? You all know the story. Anybody who ever met me knows the story of the fellow that falls off of a cliff. And he's holding on to a branch. He's hanging on a branch. His ten fingers are wrapped around this branch, tight as it gets. And his eyes stare down at the 10,000 foot drop. And he calls out, God in heaven, our Father in heaven, save me, please. And he hears the heavenly voice. Do you believe in me? And he says, yes, God Almighty, I believe in you. Do you have complete and total faith in me? And he says, yes, God Almighty, I have complete and total faith in you. So the Almighty, the heavenly voice says to him, leave go of the branch. He looks down at the 10,000 foot drop. And he looks back up to heaven and he says, anybody else up there can help me? Yeah, he cried out to God, but unfortunately... (laughs) He lost a little bit of faith when God answered what he didn't want to hear. 
So God's asking, If you believe that I'm going to take you where I promised you, why cry? If you don't believe, why cry to me? Rashi answers, on the word Vayitz'aku, they called out, they screamed out, and he explains that at that time, B'nai Yisrael tofsu em umnais avesam, they grabbed onto the craft of their fathers. And therefore he's explaining what this outcry was, what this prayer of the Jewish nation was. This craft is a way that people get used to, a way that people become one with. And this is how it always was by the forefathers. Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, they were always praying to God. Holidays, daily basis. This was their trademark. Not only when they were in trouble. When they felt that their soul needed such to pour out their souls before God. But they rather, they prayed at all times. In every situation. And this is many different, Rashi says, examples. You know, tell a story of a rabbi that had spoke a sermon on Yom Kippur hey Scranton, snap out of it <laughs> he is talking, he's giving his Yom Kippur to Russia doesn't help and his, his Yom Kippur to Russia he looks around at his packed shul and he reminisces and he says Gentlemen, I'll be honest with you. We have the 575 seats in our shul. I am very happy to see this Yom Kippur Day. The entire shul is full to capacity. But I reminisce painfully throughout the year, Shabbos after Shabbos, where we need to go bang on someone's door to get an 8th, ninth, and 10th man to shul. But you all know the address on Yom Kippur. Let me share with you a story. The story is told of a man that had a restaurant. And his restaurant, like every other restaurant, needs a supplier. The supplies that are involved in a restaurant, for all those who don't know, Google it the foods and the... But this world, in today's day and age, as you can go to the one source, Amazon, and get everything you need. Here too, when you have a restaurant, you don't want to have to go to different distributors. If you can get your meat, your chicken, your eggs, your potatoes, your vegetables, your spoons, your forks, your plates, from all from one person, your drinks, etc. Yuck. Givaldic, like we say. Amazing. You don't have to deal with different people. You don't have to deal with different billings, different companies. And 
This one supplier gives you everything. And it's so convenient, you don't even bother go pricing anything, because, hey, he got everything for me, whatever I need. Whenever I call, it's here. Now, because he was a faithful customer by this supplier, the supplier, one back scratches the other. And the supplier was very, very, they had a great rapport. So good was the rapport that the supplier did not give him 30 days, did not give him 90 days. He gave him 12 months. Once a year was the ceremony and the restaurateur would come to the house of the supplier and hand him the money of the year. This is a tremendous, gewaldic thing. The trust and belief in one another and the friendship that it had grown. Because the supplier didn't have to come knocking on the door in the middle of the year, in the middle of the month, in the, middle of the, in the hard time, and all of a sudden say to him, Hey, buddy, where's my bill? Where's my, why are you not paying up the invoices? And every year, like clockwork, Baruch Hashem, the man managed to put together the money to pay the supplier. One year, this is going on, this arrangement is going on for years, decades. One year, the restaurateur had a little bit of a hiccup. Two children got married, and this one wasn't well, and this happened, and this happened, and the car broke down, and he hit a lot, a lot of snags financially. And although Baruch Hashem, he was able to fill all his holes and all the bills that had to be paid, when it came the end of the year, he did not have the money. But the day is the day, and the time is a set time, and this was never, ever missed. And so the restaurateur with a broken heart walks up the 14 steps, the front steps of the supplier, and he rings the bell with great trepidation. And the man, the owner himself, opens the door, not the butler. The restaurateur sees him and starts to just hysterically sob and cry. And he says to him, My friend, what happened? And he starts to list off all the expenses that he incurred this course of the year. And the bottom line, I'm sorry, I just can't pay you. And the supplier looks at him in the eye and he says to him, how much are we talking about? And he says to him, $133,000. Supplier says, $133,000. And he says it out loud. The whole street should hear. I forgive it. It's a gift. I'm bestowing upon you a gift of $123,000. Next year we start a new slate. Today we start the new slate. And for next year, God willing, you will pay me on time. And don't even think about this money. Don't try to add it, to pay it back. It's forgiven. It's a gift. A cup of lemonade for the fridge.
the man didn't know where to turn, how to look, how to how do you eat this? This is not at all the result and the wildest dream that he expected. And immediately he, he jumps on the guy and he and he gives him a hug, and the two embrace each other like old brothers, and they're good to go. Shkoyach. Little Edel is walking by the house. And he sees this exchange. He sees the old the man go up the stairs, knock on the door, cry like a baby, and the man bestows upon him a gift of $123,000. Is I not to cry? So he waits for the man to leave and he goes up the steps and he brings the bell. And again, the supplier opens the door and the man starts to cry and to bawl and to yell and to have fits. And he says, Rabbi, what's wrong? What's happening to you? I need $123,000. says, are you Meshige? He says, but, but what do you mean? He says, what do you mean you're asking for $123,000? He says, but, but I just saw the other man. He didn't even cry as hard as I did. He didn't put on a show like I just did. And then you gave him a gift of $123,000. Uh, he says to him, I know this man for decades. Week in and week out, day in and day out, I see him. For decades. We have a tremendous rapport. We constantly talk. We constantly see each other. He asks for a one-time forgiveness. I grant him. You come to me one time and you want a forgiveness on, on I don't know what? You want me to give you such a gift? To this the rabbi said to his congregants, for those who forgot what the story was, the rabbi says to his congregants on that Yom Kippur faithful Yom Kippur day. Says Rabbi Isai, we are open seven days a week, three times a day. Those that come three times a day, seven days a week, the Almighty listens to Yom Kippur and says, Okay, my child, you have frequent flyer miles here. I forgive you. But if you come the one time and you keep her knocking on the door and say, Forgive me. I can't tell you, Who are you? But you definitely don't have the same clout as the person that's a frequent flyer. Now that we finished the story, that we remember that how the story started, back to what we were talking about in the parsha, the prayers of the Jews. The forefathers didn't just pray once a year. They didn't just pray when there was trouble. They were constantly praying to God. This was the essence of the prayers and the crying out of the Jews as they saw the Egyptians descending upon them. It was a natural prayer. Prayer, Where the Yid says, 
Oh God Almighty, help me. With a yid says to a fellow Jew, Baruch Hashem. Thank God. How are you is the response, Baruch Hashem. Because I am constantly blessing God no matter what and when and where. It is natural to answer with praise to God. It is ingrained within the soul. So they definitely believed with complete faith in the salvation of God. And they knew that He would would help them, He would save them, and He would take them to the Holy Land, deliver them to the Holy Land of Israel. So the time that came now, and they felt a yearning, a need to get closer to God, they grabbed on to the training that they had from their forefathers. They grabbed on to the craft of their fathers and they prayed. Now the truth to be told, if you read the parsha you'll turn around and say, Rabbi, do me a favor, who are you fooling? Look what they actually said. A little further, in the very same parsha, they say, Are there not enough graves in Egypt that you took us to die and bury us in the desert? This doesn't come from the depth of faith. The nature of the beast, the nature of the person, that when times are bad, and they're in pain, they speak harshly. Have you keep your score at home, the Gemara Baba Basra, Tezayin Amit Beis, 16 side 2. You don't go to a person to talk to him when he's in pain. Because the fact remains. He says things that he regrets. So too here when the Jews were in such shock and pain, they believed and they prayed to God full-heartedly. In the Umnus Avaisam, in the way their forefathers did, although they said things that were not exactly pretentious. Here we learn how a Jew needs to learn and pray. Prayer and learning needs to be in a way of Umnus. This is our Facht. This is our trade that we constantly are involved in it it's not enough to just learn so that we know the one law and it's not enough to just pray one sentence but rather prayer and study 
need to be in a way that is recognizable that this is the person's essence. This is how he serves God. And the same when we influence others. We need to try to reach out to our fellow Jews, even if it's not recognizable, that they have any kind of inkling or clue to Judaism. Because Bipnimius within a person is Ayev Hashem. And this is his true trade. And this is what we have as an obligation to bring out from the hidden to revelate, to reveal it. That he himself feels also that he can believe in God and want to serve God. Ironically, we find at the end of the Pasha a similar situation. We find after the Jews cross the Amsuf and are ready to begin their journey, the Amalekite, the nation of Amalek, comes to battle the Jews. He comes to battle the Jews and the Almighty's message say, go out there and fight them back. Very interesting though. Go out there and fight them. So Moshe sends out Yeshua his prize student says, go fight them. And Moshe himself stood in prayer with his hands raised. Tells us, The hands of Moshe became heavy. And when his hands went down, the Jews lost. And when his hands went up, the Jews win. question becomes, how do we speak derogatorily about Moshe? Telling us that his hands became heavy, etc. But truth to be told, this battle was fought by Yeshua and Moshe himself should have gone out to battle as well. The Torah tells us that Amalek came to attack Kol HaNacheshol and Macharecho. Ironically it says, the commentaries tell us, they left Egypt, they crossed the Yamsuf, but there were still those that were not behaving. And although Amid HaOnon Yemam Valayla there was the Amud HaAnon that was around them from all sides, the cloud surrounded them, protected them. <coughs> there was a group, Nechasholim, those that were sinners, and they were outside of the cloud. It was those people that Amalek was able to attack, because Amalek couldn't attack the Jews, the Jews were surrounded by the cloud. Only those people 
were they able to attack? Here lies the question on Moshe. You sent your Yeshua. Wonderful. Top-notch guy. You're number one man. To go help these Jews that are sinners, that are unaware of their Judaism. Where were you? Why were you not personally involved in helping the Jew that had not yet found his path to God? The Jew that had sinned. Even you, Moshe, have an obligation to go out and to help a fellow Jew. Not to scorn a Jew, not to put down a Jew, not to embarrass a Jew. No matter what that Jew had done, even the Moshe Rabbeinu was obligated to go out there and to help him to repent. And we learn, therefore, of two battles that take place in the Pasha. The Jews leave Egypt and they're en route to Sinai to go receive the Torah on our Sinai. And they stage a battle against Parai and his 600 wagons, chariots, and against Amalek. And there's a very open difference between the two. The Torah tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu in chapter 14, verse 14. <laughs> Nothing is lost in translation here, my friends. If you will look, my friends, in today's portion, at chapter 14, verse 14, the Almighty says, Hashem Yilochem Lochem Vatem Tacharishun. The Almighty will battle for you and you remain quiet. Again, chapter 14, verse 14. In Hebrew, Yudalid. Yudalid is the Yad, the hand of the Almighty, the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He tells us, Hashem Yilachem Lachem. His hand <coughs> will smite your enemy. You just sit back quietly. On the other hand, when it comes to the battle of Amalek, and this is chapter 17, verse 9. The Pesach says, Say, Go out there and fight them. The two totally different approaches the Almighty presents to the Jew when it comes to battle. <coughs> Excuse me, the battle against Mitzrayim Hashem Yilochim Lachem Atem Tacharishun and the battle against Amalek say Yilochim Ba'amalek go out there and fight them 
the difference between these two battles. Paroi and his army were a physical danger to the Jews. Amalek and its army were a spiritual danger. Therefore, the physical danger, says the Almighty, leave to me. The spiritual, you need to battle your own battle. Parai chased after the Jews. He did not stand between them and God. This battle had nothing to do with belief in God. Had nothing to do with serving God. And therefore the Almighty took upon Himself this battle and commanded the Jews, Be quiet. The Jewish nation does not pride itself with the physical Buddha, the physical miracle. The Jewish nation does not say, Koichi, a verse quoted in the Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17 my strength has accomplished this a Jew may not say that and therefore he cannot rely on a victory against Pari that he should pride himself and say, I beat him. And accept upon himself the war with Pari and his army was hinted. HaKadosh Baruch Hu hints the Jewish nation Sorry, I just saw your text. Yes, Titzak calling out in this case is referring to prayer. This battle and this exhibit of strength was nothing for the Jewish nation to pride themselves. On the other hand, Amalek comes with a total different approach. Amalek goes out to battle the Jews immediately after the Jews went across the Red Sea. They were on their way to Har Sinai to receive the Tera. At that moment comes Amalek and says, I've got to get between you and God. I'm going to stand between you and the mountain. When the Tera says that part that Amalek came to fight the Jews. The Lush of the Torah uses the words the Torah uses, Asher Korcho Baderech. Korcho 
also means cold, Kriros. Amali came to try to cool off the Jews. And Rashi brings a mussel of a river or a bank of water that was extremely, extremely hot. And no one could go in. Came the first person and jumped in. He got scolded from head to toe. But made it possible for a second and a third and a fourth person to jump in thereafter. And although they each one got scolded, but it was less than the first, until people were able to use the water. But Israel comes out of Mitzrayim, they were a hot commodity. They were the nation to be beat. And Amalek said, I don't care what my casualties will be. I want to show the Jews, I want to cool them down. I want to be the first one to jump into the hot water. I'll get scolded, I'll get burned from head to toe. But I want to start the cooling process of this nation. This was Amalek's approach. They came to try to cool off the Jews before they come to get the Torah. And therefore, we don't wait for miracles from God. We need to, each and every one of us, battle the Amalek from within. And when somebody or something tries to get in the way of Matan Teda, of the accepting of the Teda on Sinai, any little given iota of a something that tries to stop a Jew from doing a mitzvah learning Torah, we do not wait for a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but we get to, we have to fight our own battle. One needs to do whatever they can, whatever is in their powers, to literally stage war against these people. Even though that we know Yadayim Yaday Esav the hand, the fighting is only the hands of Esau that fights. And the Jew is a kill, kill Yaakov. But when a Jew can add in Teda Mitzvah without any kind of distraction, the Jew needs to devote himself totally. We know the Mitzvah also, Lizker Bichol Yeim Ezeicher Amalek to mention every day, to remember the Amalek. And this we take from our Pasha, when it comes to the concept of Amalek. There are no pshoras. There are no compromises. Nothing is allowed in the slightest iota to approach and to try to, God forbid, cool down any Jew or Judaism. And therefore this war against Amalek is a perpetual one. There's Amalek within each and every one of us that tries to cool us off, tries to take away our fire, our fervor of any Jew who has that Eish HaKedusha and the Ava to Hashem that burns within him
And this concept one needs to remember. There are no compromises. One needs to stand up against this Hamalik and to go full on to accepting the Torah. The Jews came to Sinai, and we know the Torah tells us, commentaries tell us, there were four different approaches. There were four different reactions. Each group had a different opinion of how to deal with the issue at hand. One group said, let's jump into the water. One group said, let's return to Mitzrayim. One group said, no, let's battle with the Egyptians. And the fourth one said, let's pray to Hashem. And to the first group, Meshe Rabbeinu answers them, Al-Tiro, to all of them, he says, do not fear. Because it's Yatzvuru Hashem. Stand by, you will see the salvation from God. Don't go jumping into the water. Let's go back to Egypt, said the second group. The way you see the Egyptians today, you will never see them again. The third group that said, let's fight the Egyptians, Moshe Rabbeinu answers, Hashem, Yilochem, Lochem. The Almighty will fight your battle. And ultimately, the group that said, let's pray, he says, Atem Tacharishun, be silent. The indecisiveness of each one of these groups not being able to make a decision. But yet, they caused controversy to an extent that Moshe Rabbeinu needed to intervene and Moshe Rabbeinu needed to clarify their next step. But we knew clearly the next step was march on. We knew clearly the next step was believing God and He will take you, He will deliver you as He has promised. Stood up Nakshim and Aminadov. If you're keeping score at home, the Gimara in Saita Lamed Zayin Amaralev, 37, side 1, tells us that he stood up and he walked into the Yamsuf. And the Yamsuf split. As he walked in, the nation saw the difference between Mitzrayim, the capture between, excuse me, the, the wedging between, they were wedged between the Egyptians and the Yam. And he gave up his own life ready to sacrifice himself, and began to walk into the water. 
It is to and his toe were others. And as they entered the water, the water split. This doing of Nakshain wasn't necessarily according to the halacha. Because the question becomes, if before Matantera even, a Jew was obligated to sacrifice his life for God. If a Jew is obligated to sacrifice his life before the receiving of the Torah, Nachshin was in a minority. He stood up against most of the nation, most of whom said, as we said before, pray, go back, battle. So, how did he get the right? Where does he come off to walk into the water? The greatness of Nachshin was as follows. He wasn't looking to be... <laughs> they tell a story. A very wealthy man who had a very, very beautiful mansion and a magnificent pool. There's one trivial problem that in his pool he would keep sharks. So obviously the swimming percentage wasn't very good. However, one day he made a party and everybody drank sufficiently. And finally a wager was made. And the rich man got up and said, whoever can swim across my pool, I will give him my daughter hand in marriage it became silent many people were sobered up from their drink from their imbibing from such a challenge and all of a sudden splash the water you see someone jump in and the man is swimming with all his might out swimming the sharks and he comes out from the other end as the shark's about to bite him. And he rolls to the ground. And everybody's cheering and screaming and yelling and jumping up and down for this hero who just did this magnificent feat. And finally he catches his breath. And the man is about to give him his reward and he says, Who pushed me in the water? Nakshin didn't get pushed. He walked in on his own. On what rights? Against everybody else's thoughts. He was not thinking about self-sacrifice here. The Almighty said when they took I'm taking you out of Egypt, you're going to come serve me at this mountain. From this he understood Nachshon that the leaving of Mitzrayim has to lead up to one thing and one thing only getting to Harsinai and receiving the Torah. And that's what God wants. Anything in between that needs to be obliterated. Nachshon thought very, very straight. How do I complete God's will? 
Standing around here complaining and crying is not doing anything. There was only one way to move forward to get across Har Sinai. To get across to Har Sinai. And this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted. The person to do his and to forge ahead. This is the way of Avram Avinu. Tehis explains the single, the ultimate self-sacrifice of Avram Avinu, the abnegation, that Avram did not think at all about this mysterious nefesh, but rather just to fulfill the word of God. If it took mysterious nefesh, if it took sacrificing his life, he was willing to, ready to do it. But that's not what he was looking for. Season so to action. Although he saw Mercedes Nefesh was involved. He had the questions. He wasn't thinking about being a hero. But rather, how do I fulfill God's command to move ahead, to forge ahead to the Har Sinai, to the mountain of Sinai? And therefore he entered the water. And when he did his, and he began to move towards the fulfillment of God's words, God fulfilled his part and split the water. Nachshon teaches us every single Jew how we need to behave, how we need to think, what our mind frame needs to be. One thing and one thing only to serve God. To fulfill God's want and fulfill God's mission. Not to think how hard it's going to be, how difficult it's going to be, how much I have to put into it, what, is, what price is it going to be to me, what my sacrifice will be involved here. He needs to go with Messiah Snefesh to give over his own soul to fulfill the want of God. The mission, says the Rebbe of this generation, is to bring the Geulah. And therefore we need to turn to each and every Jew with love and with adoration to bring them closer to Terah as a preparation to go towards the Geulah, towards the ultimate redemption. When we fulfill our shlichas fully, we will, as we learn from Nakshin ben Aminadav, then for us too we will experience the splitting of the sea, the splitting and the success in fulfilling the way and the wants of God and to bring the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema as we learn from Yudshvat, as we learn from the Nasi, as the Rebbe took on the mantle of Chsidim, as the Rebbe on Yudshvat of Shiralif. And the Rebbe's mission is, He tells us repeatedly, our time for redemption has arrived, we need to stand up and declare it. And with this we will declare ultimately, we will cross the Yamsuf, and we will come to Matantera, as we read, Pashas Yisrael by Mincha, and we will be able to read it, in Yerushalayim, Irakadesh, with Mashiach, Tzidkenu, Shabbat, Shalom to all.